Good morning. Good to see all of you. Praise the Lord. You look like a great congregation on this rainy day. Some of you have probably been praying for rain. Well, here it is. It's been raining for a month, it feels like. It doesn't feel like summer, but it is, right? Is it going to be summer like this week or next week? I, it is going to be summer camp for our kids. I will tell you that. So on all your seats, there's a little flyer that says uh, summer camp is coming up a week from tomorrow. So we will have summer camp from, for kids age 6 through 12. And if you know of a kid, if you know of someone who has grandkids, if you know of a parent who has kids in that age bracket, would you take one of those flyers home? Would you bring it to your work or to your neighborhood or put it in somebody's mailbox for anybody that you know that has kids? We will have summer camp right here a week from tomorrow. The dates are on there. We will invite kids in. It's totally 100% free. There's free lunch. There's a party on the last day. We'll have hot dogs and cotton candy and bounce houses, bounce castles is what I meant to say. And uh, it'll be a really fun time. We're going to proclaim and share that God loves you. That'll be the message. And we'll tell kids that they are a work of art. That's the theme of this year's camp, that they are a work of art. Very simple. Any kid can come, whether you're a Christian or you are not, or whether you usually go to church or don't go to church. We are welcoming all kids to this camp. It'll be a lot of fun, and they will hear that God loves them. And I'm just thinking, like, as a pastor, I take care of people. That's, that's my job. And I'm seeing in the news... Um, I'm seeing in all the latest polls and just kind of people talking about what's going on in our nation and our world. There is a epidemic, a, a pandemic of, I think you'll agree with me, of loneliness. Don't you think? Like in our world today, like there's a deep state of loneliness. And it's things like this, a kids camp where we bring kids in and we say, God loves you. And there's a community of people here that are safe and that love you and that will welcome you. Uh, it's, it's light in the darkness, like what Scott was saying. Like, that's why we exist as a church, to make disciples and to bring light into the darkness. So please, we got one more week to invite people, invite as many kids as you can take. We have more flyers uh, in the back, on that back table. Bring as many as you want. Hand them out. Put them on, on, on cars or on houses everywhere that you know where kids could be. We would love to have kids coming to this camp to hear the good news that God loves them. Are you ready to jump into the Word of God? Are you ready? Anybody ready to jump into the Word of God? Okay. Turn to 1 John chapter 2, and I'll preface what John is about to say. So we're in this series. Uh, through 1 John, the other congregations are in this series through 1 John. I think they have another week or two. We have the rest of the summer. We're going to take a deep dive into this book of 1 John, and we're going through it at a, at a slow pace so that we could really go deep into individual verses and individual passages. And John here is prefacing a commandment, and he's going to say this isn't an, a new commandment. This is an old commandment, and then he's going to say this is a new commandment. Did you hear me right? Did you, did you listen to that? He's, he says it's, a, it's, it's not a new commandment. It's an old commandment, and then he says, here's this new commandment. Is everyone a little confused? I wonder if he's 
confusing us on purpose. If he's, if he's like trying to bring out, he wants you to lean in. He wants you to pay attention to what he's about to say. He realizes that he's self-contradicting himself by saying it's an old commandment. It's actually a new commandment. Here's the new commandment. It's actually an old commandment. He's drawing our attention in to what he's about to say. And the reason for this, a lot of the the Bible writers did this, a lot of ancient writers did this, because the way of getting someone's attention in the ancient way of writing was to use repetition and to invite them in with some kind of riddle or a mystery. Because in the original Greek language, in the ancient Greek, I'm about to say something and it's going to blow your mind. I remember learning this in seminary, this kind of fact of like how they wrote back in the ancient times, ancient Greek, whether it was ancient Greek Bible or ancient Greek secular, Aristotle, for instance, would write this way. People would write, are you ready for this? It's, it's kind of like a nerd alert, what you're about to learn. If you don't know this, you're like, wow, did they really do that? Did they really write like this? So if you know what to do, this is a nerd alert. Okay, good job. Uh, they wrote in all caps. So imagine reading a book that was in all caps and get this, no spaces. What? And no punctuation. I remember learning this in my Greek class because I took New Testament Greek in seminary. And I was like, what? All caps? No spaces? Not even like a period? Like or a punctuation? Like why? Why? Why would you do that? Why would you write that way? And my Greek professor said, well, this one theory is that they didn't, the, like the lowercase font hadn't been in existent yet. And I was like, okay, I get that. But no spaces? Like, why wouldn't you put spaces in between the words? Why? And my Greek professor was like, well, we don't really know, but we do know paper was expensive back then, either uh, like papyrus or vellum that people would write on. And so they were saving space by writing. And I was like, you're not saving that much space. Like, but like, why? Why would you do that? And I still, to this day, have never heard a good answer as to why the ancient world wrote in all caps with no spaces, no punctuation. Like you would think, like, so, like I, I'm the kind of person that likes to solve problems. And maybe you are too. Like, let's do this a little bit differently, guys. Wouldn't it be easier to put a space between the words, like has anybody else ever thought of this? And, and like, look, come on. So anyways, they didn't do that. So if you wanted, like John in 1 John, if he's writing a letter and it's gonna be read, if he wanted to emphasize something, he couldn't put it in all caps because it was already in all caps. He, he didn't have access to highlighters. He didn't have access to emojis. He didn't have access even to like underlining or boldface font or any of the things like we would do if we were sending an email or a text to someone. We would put little emojis. We'd put all caps. We would you know put exclamation points and question marks and more exclamation points if we really wanted you know to get our point across that this was important. John didn't have any of those things available to him, apparently. And so if he wanted to, if the ancient writers wanted to get attention to their audience, they would use repetition 
and they would kind of use like a building up of what they're about to say, mainly uh, sometimes with a word riddle. And so what John is doing here is this word riddle with this old and new commandment. So I've built this up enough. We're going to read it now. Would you stand with me and listen to this new commandment that's actually an old commandment, and it's not a new commandment? That John is about to say. And guess what? He doesn't, we're gonna read through this, and he doesn't even say what the command is. You have to really lean in and listen to like the repercussions of not following versus following the command that's kind of hidden in this text. So would you take a moment? Would you would you invite the Holy Spirit? These are these are not just um, words of advice, these are God's words through this servant of John who is speaking to an ancient church. And we're reading now, this is the word of God. These are words, not just for advice. These are words that can change your life, change the course of this world. Listen to what John has to say. 1 John chapter 2, verse 7, he says, dear friends, he says, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Verse 8 says, yet I am writing you a new command. He wants us to, to lean in and listen. Like there's, there's some um, riddles going on here. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. And he's going to make this comparison of light and darkness, love and hate. Verse 9, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister, is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness, walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Christ, you are in our midst. And Lord, as we stand here, considering your word about light and darkness, about love and hatred, about John calling us into this command to love one another, Lord, we pray that your love would be inside of us, that your love would exude from our lives in such a way that people would know it. People would experience your love through us, through this church. Lord, we pray in your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and all God's people at New Life, Manitou Springs, shouted, Amen. 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 You may be seated. Let's look at this text. Um, John, in this whole book, he's writing a letter. It reads a lot like a sermon, but it is a letter from John to some churches, we think in Ephesus, and he first calls people to live in the light. A couple sermons ago, we talked about uh, the, the phrase, be in the light as he is in the light, live in the light as God is in the light. And now he's kind of hashing that out. Like, what does that mean? If someone says, hey, you need to live in the light as God is in the light, you would all think like, okay, yeah, that's, that's a good metaphor, but what does that actually mean? And now John is going into, well, here's what that means. You need to follow the commands of God. And then you might say, okay, yeah, that's good. Yeah, that, that's a good, it's a really big idea. It's a good idea. But what does that mean? Like the day-to-day, like how, what commands? 
Right? How do, which, which ones do I follow? Which, which ones are the, are the important ones? Where do I begin? Well, now John is answering that question, and he says that, well, really, love is the most important command. This is the first point of this sermon. If you're taking notes, the, the title of the sermon is Love Like Jesus. Uh, the title is Love Like Jesus, and, and the first point is this. Love is the most important command. It's what we're supposed to be doing. It is our purpose. You know, a fridge has a purpose. What does it do? Keep stuff cold. An oven has a purpose. What is its purpose? Heat stuff up. A dishwasher has a purpose. What's the purpose of a dishwasher? It washes dishes. Uh, a toaster has uh, a purpose. Its purpose is to toast bread. Uh, uh, things have purposes. You, you, they exist for a purpose of doing a thing. Do you know why you exist? Do you know what your purpose is? Well, John says it's to love. Love is the greatest command. To first and foremost, Love your creator, to love God. That's, that, that summarizes all of the law and the prophets. Love God. And the second commandment is, is much like the first. If God's love is in you and you're loving God, well, then the second commandment is to love one another. The riddle, the answer to this riddle as to whether this command is a new command or an old command, because he says both. He says, this is not a new command, it's an old command. And then what does he say? This is a new command. So like, which one is it? What is he getting at? Obviously, he's, he's a master of language. If you would go back and you could watch our sermons online on our website and YouTube, we opened up this sermon series by saying John is a master writer. You might read this and, and realize it's a kid's level reading, like maybe third or fourth grade reading level. But like a really good, good kid's book that is simple to read, its vocabulary is, is pretty small, but a good kid's book can make parents cry. A good kid's book has deep, profound truths that it's speaking to kids on a level that they could understand and on a level parents can get and, and get emotional about. I think that I've compared this First John book to a kid's book because it's so simple. The vocabulary is not complex, and yet the mysteries of truth and how John communicates are just so fascinating. So the mystery to this riddle, whether this is an old or new command, I think goes back to the words of Jesus himself. And I think that this, this is another point here as to why I think this, but this John from 1 John, I think is the same author as the Gospel of John, who is the same guy as the disciple of John, who's the same guy who mentions himself in the Gospel of John as the disciple that Jesus loved. And it's this disciple that is next to Jesus on that last night they had. They, they share a meal together. Jesus has just washed their feet. They're around a table. They're receiving the Passover meal. Jesus is gonna hold up bread and he's gonna break it. He's gonna say, do this in remembrance of me. We're gonna take communion later on in this service. But it's at this meal where Jesus says, I've got a new commandment for you. This is John 13 34, the scene is him at the Last Supper. He knows that he is about to go into a betrayal by Judas. He knows he's about to go to jail. He knows he's about to get beaten. He knows that the next day he will be killed. And so he is with his disciples at this table, and he says this. A new commandment, sound familiar? A new commandment I give you. 
And it's not a new command because it's just to love one another. We've heard that all throughout the Bible. But the new part of it is this, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. So the, 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 the new commandment is that you love like Jesus loves. And we have an example. You might say, well, how do we love? What does love look like? Well, now we have an example to love like Jesus. And if you do this, verse 35, Jesus says that by this, all people will know that what? That you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So if you're taking notes, point two is just a copy paste of what Jesus just said. They will know that we are his disciples. We are know that they will know that we are Christians. I wrote it like this by our love, because have you heard that there's a song written in the 60s by a Catholic priest, and then uh, people have taken it and, and rewritten it, and, and different bands have, have done this song. They will know we are Christians by our love. Do you know it? They will know we are Christians by our love. And it's this methodical song, a reminder that, yeah, when we love each other, when we love the people in this world, they will know we are Christians. How many of you, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, how many of you have been interacting with someone, maybe you worked with them, maybe you, uh, I don't know, did something with someone, maybe you just sat next to them in school, and before you had any sort of religious conversation, you just knew that you knew that you knew that they were a fellow Christian. Has anybody, raise your hand, if you that's happened to you. You're like, I just knew they were. And then I kind of asked them, or I, I kind of threw out like, well, I go to this church. And you're kind of waiting for them to say, well, I go to this church. And then sure enough, they do. And you're like, oh, we're both Christians. Wow, how did you know? I don't know, how did you, I knew too. Like, how did we know? And it, it, that happens to me quite a bit. And I don't think it's a gift or a prophetic word. I think it's just like, I saw the way they said something. I saw the way they loved in that situation, I saw the way they didn't talk bad about uh, someone else. I saw the way they didn't gossip. We haven't had a religious conversation, but I just see by the way they are that they are a Christian, that they must love Jesus because they're acting a certain way in love. I think I, I'm, I'm going to tell you a story. It's like the first time I ever went to uh, a, a Christian youth group. I was in high school. This is mid-90s. I uh, was invited by some friends uh, to go to a Christian youth group. It was called Destiny. It met on uh, Wednesday nights at 7 uh, o'clock in the evening. And my parents dropped me off. And I went in and I was blown away. Uh, by people who, it was like my first time going to a group where, where people really loved Jesus. And um, I kind of grew up in church, but, but the people that I hung out with like, weren't like these strong born-again Christians like I experienced in this destiny youth group. And I walked into this youth group, and everyone was so doggone nice. Like, they were really nice. Everyone was welcoming. They thanked me for being there. People came up to me and introduced themselves. And it threw me off. Like, I hadn't, I'm like, why are you guys being so nice to me? They did this thing that I was really nervous about, that if it was your first time to Destiny, you had to stand up and say your name and what grade you were in. And, and they had a funny question for you. And I said my name and everybody cheered. I said, I'm, I'm, in, I'm a sophomore. And everybody cheered. I answered the silly question. And everybody 
everybody cheered. And I sat down. I was like, who are these people? Like, why is everyone so nice? And everyone, I, I went again the next week, and people invited me to a winter retreat. And they, I remember the youth pastor's wife said, Joe, I really hope you can go. And first of all, I was like, how'd you know my name? Like, I just met you briefly last week. You remembered my name from last week? Like, first of all, that blew my mind. And then why do you want me to come to your retreat like this like why do you care like why why do you want me to come and i had this thought and i'm going to let you into like the weird dark recesses of my high school mind for just a minute and i hopefully this is not the only thing you remember about this sermon but everyone was so nice to me and everyone was inviting me to this winter retreat that i had this thought and i probably had this thought because there was this urban legend you know what an urban legend is like it might have some truth to it but it's probably not there was this urban legend going around you probably remember it from the late to mid 90s uh that people were out to get your kidneys your kidneys and the urban legend was like a warning like if you ever wake up in a bathtub of ice and your your back is hurting call 911 cuz someone has stole your kidney to sell on the black market Raise your, do you know this? Do you, have you heard this urban? Okay, only a few of you. The rest of you, I apologize. I've now put a horrible image in your mind, and it's just an urban legend. I don't know if that ever actually happened, that kidneys were being stolen and put on the black market. But here's the, everyone was so nice to me at this youth group that I thought, like I had this thought, they're, they're gonna invite me to this winter camp, and they're gonna steal my kidney. And I went and they did not steal my kidney. I'm very happy to say. And I just, I was blown away. Like this is what Christians do. Like I didn't get it. Like they're really this nice. And I see that at New Life Manitou. I see, I hear sometimes as the pastor, it's like, I came to your church and everybody was so nice to me. Everyone was kind. People remembered my name for the, till the next week. And they said, hi. And I saw someone at the Safeway and I met them in church. And it was, oh, it's cool. You went to that church. I saw you over there. Yeah. And, and people are just nice. This is what the church does. This is not unique to that youth group. This is not unique to New Life Manitou. This is what Christians do. We have the love of God inside of us, and we share that. And people really will know, like Jesus said, people will know that we are followers of him. People will know that we are Christians by our love. That is really what he wanted us to do, that is really what I see happening so many times in this world. I think of people coming and serving this church. I think of the Binsbergs who were just leading us in worship. They're volunteers. They're doing that because they love it. They love you. I think about yesterday. Where's Joe Scudlark? He came yesterday and, and, and helped with the building and just served here on a Saturday because he loves it, because he loves the church, because he loves you. I think about uh, people in the tech booth, volunteers, the Wallers back there, just serving because they love you. They love doing it. I think about the Duncans. They're always like shepherding their whole uh, like townhome, condominium, whole area because they love people and they give me updates. Oh, pray for so-and-so. I met with them yesterday and they just love people. They love people. We love people and that's how the world will know that we are followers of Jesus and we need to keep that up. There's a dark world out there. There's a lonely 
dark world out there. And as a pastor, gosh, I, this, just this week, I was thinking about, man, uh, people in, in darkness and, and people um, in this world, you know, really just, you know, love the people like them. They just love their own little tribe. And if you're different than them, if you say something or just disagree with them, then they're, they we're becoming in this nation very polarized and, and very tribalistic. And friends, as, as Christians, as Jesus followers, we need to love like Jesus. So Jesus called us to love even our enemies. So this third point is this, to love like Jesus did. I'm about to answer this question of, of what does love look like? Okay, how do we love? We're using this word a whole, a whole bunch. What is this word love and how do we love like Jesus? How do we love like he did when he was on this earth, when he's in his earthly ministry? How do we love like Jesus did? Let me tell you about this word love. And I'm going to try to do what John has done. So John tells these word riddles and says one thing and then pretty much the exact opposite. He's done, he's not, this is not the first time that he does this or the last time in this uh, book of 1 John. But he like seemingly self-contradicts himself within like one sentence. So I'm going to try to do that. I'm going to try to draw you in to the mystery of this word love with this. Love is a bad word and love is the greatest word. Love is the most meaningful word, and love has become a meaningless word. I'll say it again. Love is a, is a bad word, and what I mean by that is like not an appropriate word, but just a, a bad word to use, and love is also the greatest word. I'll explain that. Love is the most meaningful word, and the word love has become a meaningless word. Is anybody following me? I see some people. I see some people like this. I see some people like, what are you saying right now? You're trying to be like John. You better explain. Let me explain. So I think love is a not an inappropriate word, but it's it's a word that all so many people use it in different circumstances, and so it's become kind of this meaningless word that just has it's like like and love are the same word. But if you really get to the meaning of what love is, it's the most meaningful word. That's why I said it's the most meaningful word. But the way in which we're using it in the English language, it's become a meaningless word. So love is a, is a bad word in the sense that it, it really doesn't mean that much anymore. It's used too much for too many different circumstances. So that's what I mean by it's a bad word. But it's the greatest word. If you really know what true Jesus, God, agape, love is, well, then it's the most meaningful thing, but we've made it a meaningless thing. Is everybody following me now? Here's, I think people will use the word love, like I love pizza, or my boys will say, I have four boys uh, all under the age of 12, they'll say, I love Minecraft. It's a video game. Anybody else know what Minecraft, all the little boys said, oh, some adults, I see your hands. You know what Minecraft is. Uh, they love Minecraft. And someone could say they love Pikes Peak. Or they, uh, people say, oh, I love it when it's raining out. First of all, what's wrong with you? It's been raining for a month. Stop loving it. We need to, we need to do some fun stuff outside. Uh, but people love, you know, they, I love this or I love that. And what they really mean is I like it. I have good feelings about it. But the kind of love Jesus talks about, the kind of love that Jesus gives us the example of is not just a liking of something. It's a serving. It's a selflessness. It's compassion. It's charity. 
The kind of love that Jesus, and and here John is calling us to love like Jesus did, and Jesus is giving us a new commandment that's not really a new commandment, but it is a new commandment because he's saying to love one another like he did. If we really understand what that means, well, then we'll love like Jesus. And here's what that means. Let me define it for you. We see a need. We have compassion. We then decide to act. We act on that decision. And then love has been expressed. We, we, we see a need. We have compassion. We make a decision to act. Then we act. And that is an expression of love. Whether we felt good, whether we liked doing it, that is how Jesus loves. Here's some of the things I wrote down when I look at Jesus' life. He accepted people. He accepted sinners. He loved people even He said to love his enemies, and then we have an example of him on the cross, people beating him, people mocking him, and he has the audacity to say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He not only said to love your enemies, he did it. He washed the feet of those that were following him. He made time for the least of these. He made time for the blind, the crippled, the lame. He had compassion on crowds, and then he lays down his life to serve, to give, even for us, even for sinners. The verse says, even while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Think about how different that definition is of love than how we use it in our vernacular of English. Jesus laid his life down. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread and he broke it. He says, this is gonna be a symbol of my broken body. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he dies the next day on the cross. And we have a cross in our room to remind us that this is God's love. This is God's death on the cross to forgive us and cover us of all of our sins. I'm gonna have a stand. Would you stand with me? I'm gonna have you think about these words. The band can come up. The communion servers, you can come up as well. We're gonna receive communion together. But I want you to think about the kind of love that Jesus loves us with. The kind of love that invites to a table. The kind of love where Jesus takes bread, takes a cup, he breaks the, the bread, he, breaks, he takes the cup, and he says, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. The ultimate uh, example of Christ showing his love is him on the cross, dying so we're about to receive communion together. We're about to remember that Jesus' body was broken, that his blood was uh, spilt for sin. And we're gonna receive these elements. We're gonna come forward. Uh, you're gonna come through the aisles here towards the cross in just a moment. You're gonna come and, and the, the communion servers are gonna say, Christ's body and blood for you. You're gonna receive the element and what we want you to do is to come back around to, the, to your chair and just hold it there. Just receive the elements, hold them there and uh, I'll come back up and I'll lead us uh, together in unison taking these elements. If you're new, I see some new faces in here. If you're new, you don't need to be a member of this church to come forward and to receive. You don't need to have your whole life together. You just need to believe in Jesus. You just need to know that he is extending you love He's extending you an invitation to to receive the body and the blood that he died 
on the cross, that he's, his body uh, broken for you, his blood shed for you. You just need to come in faith, receive the elements, come back and wait, and I'll uh, give instructions on how to receive them. But this is the body of Christ, for the body of Christ. This is the gifts of God for the people of God. As we sing this last song, would you come forward now and receive?